Good day and welcome to Film Exploration with Ash Hurry, where we're looking at the enormously successful MCU universe, our key topic for season 10. And for today's episode, we're going to look at a lost but remarkable film that carries this, at the time, mythology of an interlinking crossover movie in the near future, and that is the 2008 blockbuster The Incredible Hulk, based on a comics by Stan Lee and directed by Louis Leterrier and starring Edward Norton, Liv Tyler, Tim Roth, William Hurt and Tim Blake Nelson. Unlike Iron Man, Hulk is a character that we've seen in the past in TV shows and in films, Marvel's most smashing and portrayed superhero, one that emulates the beauty of this Jekyll Hyde fantasy, the duality of living with a curse, living with an alter ego in an explosive fashion. Now, before Mark Ruffalo, our current gamma-radiated beast, we had Edward Norton, the one on focus for today's podcast, but we also had some other actors who donned the green beast. Bill Bixby first played Banner back in 1977, Star Wars year. Back then, he was called David Banner instead of Bruce. He was the first live actor, uh, actor to play him. Now, back in the 1970s, though, CGI and special effects are pretty much non-existent. Back then, it relied on heavy makeup and the early use of animatronics. I mean, look at Planet of the Apes. That's the film that pretty much got the show started in that department in spectacular fashion, I might add, with the substantial makeups. And, of course, uh, you have to pay tribute to uh, Stanley Kubrick's 2001 A Space Odyssey, especially that scene of the apes as well. I mean, it was just uh, ahead of its time, and that was late 60s. So when they tried portraying Bill's, Bixby's, Alter Ego, The Incredible Hulk, or The Hulk in the in, in the TV series, which actually spinned off into a few films, they actually hired another actor entirely to portray the Hulk. Someone big, someone muscular, someone you would be scared of to walk past in an alleyway and just paint him green with some purple shorts. And that was, of course, Louis Ferrigno, who actually has a cameo as the film's security guard. Well, not the film's security guard. He plays a security guard in the film. And you can still see he's quite massive in that that too. Lou is of course a championship winning bodybuilder prior to acting going up against the likes of Arnold Schwarzenegger in his prime days. Bill Bixby actually makes a small cameo in this movie as well when Norton is flipping through the channels in the in the Brazilian scene when he's just watching TV and there's a show called The Courtship of Eddie's Father and it comes on and it stars Bill Bixby and he's on screen for like several seconds so it's a nice little reference slash cameo there. We then skip 30 years, exclude the voiceovers and the cartoons and animated movies and we come across Ang Lee's interesting comic book star version of Hulk, which starred, ironically, Eric Banner as Bruce Banner. This time, the Hulk was completely CGI for the first time. This film was completely overshadowed when the MCU universe got running with the Incredible Hulk, but it's an interesting one to revisit, simply for the style of the movie Ang Lee decided to go on are these really intricate editing sequences that he does that's very comic book style of course ang lee went on to win best director for bro mountain and life of pi so he has you know it had the grips of a very talented director behind it and it seemed to be one of those experimental movies that he wanted to try i thought eric banner's performance was actually quite decent but it was a shame the film didn't do too well at the box office i feel like ang lee's hulk is one that will become a cult classic in time and before ruffalo we had mr Edward Norton, Mr. Two-Time Oscar nominee, who plays the Incredible Hulk in this film, Mr. Fight Club himself. So I thought I'd hit you first with some background on a character that's pretty much recognised around the world before I come on to Mr. Edward Norton in the 2008 Incredible Hulk film. So, same year as Iron Man, the film came out a couple of months apart. In fact, up until 2019, which was when we saw the end of Phase 4 ending with Endgame and Spider-Man Far, uh, Far From Home, with the exception of 2012. There has been at least two Marvel movies out from 2008 to 2019, which is incredible. Absolutely incredible. 
So they've consistently had two Marvel movies every year from 2008 all the way to 2019. Now, 2012 was the exception because it was when the Avengers came out. So that was a massive movie. And of course, that record's now going to be broken thanks to COVID-19 when 2020 had no movies released. But 2021 will surely be making up for that. Although I say that 2020 did start the TV series. So you had WandaVision and, you know, Hawkeye as it's just come out now. Um and, uh, of course, um, Captain America as well. So, 2008 had both Iron Man and the Incredible Hulk. So, yes, anyways, facts about the Hulk. He wasn't that popular when the comic books came out and introduced him. No one seemed to favour him over the others. Just wasn't interested in gamma radiation or his alter ego, Bruce Banner. He just wasn't that interested into that certain demographic. The comics just didn't sell. They even tried to cancel him a few times. However, we know that didn't happen. In the comics, and this is... This isn't really explored in the movie. A way Bruce always tries to be flexible with being the Hulk was that he always wore clothes that stretch. And I mean, I think Iron Man actually designed some of the clothes for him. His signature purple pants makes a cameo in this movie as well. Uh, so the obvious traits of Hulk is anger and smash. But in one of the comics, he turned out to be a super jealous guy. The Hulk is just naturally jealous as well as almost... He, he actually, in one of the comics, he actually almost eats a guy that is dating a girl that he likes. So yeah jealous and angry they have a sort of a thin line between the two though don't they so the original color for the hulk was actually gray not green but it didn't really look that attractive in the comic book so they settled with green and now there's a few references in the mc universe with the hulk about gray because that's the original color it was meant to be so green won this battle did not win the battle however with the predominant color award when associated with coca-cola or santa claus but there you go and if you've read the comics then you may know why bruce was sent to go retrieve the time stone in endgame and that is in the comics, one of Hulk's superpowers is the fact that he has the ability of seeing ghosts. In fact, he's one of very few people who can see Doctor Strange in his astral form, although he would never be able to articulate that scene and Hulk doesn't talk that much. He tries never to talk. I mean, he only utters a few sentences in this movie and the other films as well. They haven't quite explored that in the films yet, but they have sort of hinted at that when Bruce is the one who retrieves the Time Stone. So yeah, one of Hulk's powers besides being super strong and angry and jealous is that he can see ghosts as well. So he also, according to most of the comics as well, can breathe underwater and he's also got a great immune system. So like Captain America, there aren't really any diseases that can make the Hulk sick, probably why he volunteered to put on Thanos' arm with the Infinity Stone. So yeah. So they explain in the comics that because the antibodies in his blood are so powerful, he instantly will always get over a cough, a cold or a fever, COVID-19 as well. And because of that, his blood is pretty useful. So some have used it in medicine in some of the comic books and some of the earlier stories as well. So anyway, even though Hulk didn't do too well at the sales of the box office, it did eventually pick up traction, and we have to thank Hulk for the introduction of some famous superheroes, like, for instance, Wolverine. Yes, Wolverine first appeared in Incredible Hulk. It, if it wasn't for the Incredible Hulk, we wouldn't have had Wolverine. He was first introduced in the Incredible Hulk 180 series comics version, dated back to 1974, where he was sent to kill the Hulk. After that, of course, he spawned off to his own comics, although we still haven't seen Wolverine support his signature yellow outfit yet. I guess we're just used to watching Hugh Jackman in a wife beater. And that's not all we have to thank Hulk for. There are others. Yes, both Thor. That's right. Thor, yeah, and Daredevil first appeared in the Hulk comic books as well as Wolverine. So the Incredible Hulk is an extremely crucial character to the MCU universe. Okay, so let's have a look at Edward Norton, the guy who portrays him in this movie, the third actor to portray a live-action Bruce Banner slash David Banner slash Incredible Hulk. So I'm a very big fan of Edward Norton, but Norton being Norton, he's a very controlling guy, especially over this movie and many other movies as well. They kind of 
play about that role of his in The Birdman, which is a podcast I've actually recently done, so check that out. So he would have him and Liv Tyler go through their characters and backgrounds. Tim Roth even said that he would rewrite scenes every day. Edward Norton has a reputation for being quite controlling on set with intense character development and constant rewrites, which is one of the reasons why they didn't let him carry on as Bruce Banner, which is a shame. He later said on a roast show that he was simply trying to make the best Marvel film better than the worst Nolan film. I'm not sure how that got received by the producers. The director, Louis, did actually want Mark Ruffalo for the role, but Marvel Studios insisted that they wanted Edward Norton for the role. But it's funny how things turn out anyway. So another duality-themed movie for Edward Norton after Primal Fear and Fight Club. This one marks the third time where he basically plays two characters. He actually rewrote the draft of the existing script, which Marvel found it actually quite satisfactory to go ahead with. But... I think in the end they were trying to make, you know, they were trying to, you know, he had too much control and he was getting too much control from the movie. And remember, this was only the second movie in the MCU universe. So, you know, this was very early on. So they wanted to get Edward Norton out of the way before he had complete control over the Hulk and maybe, you know, anything else that happened to the movie. Edward Norton went on to explain, I don't think that in great literature and films explaining the story's roots means it comes in the beginning. So audience knows what he was saying basically is, the audience knows the story of the Hulk, so we're dealing with it artfully. He had a contribution to Dr. Samson, uh, which is interesting. That was his. And also references to other Marvel characters in it. And he also wanted to put some backstories on the origin of Hulk, how the experiment happened, and what would later be explained in later movies. But that never happened. Um I mean, one instance for referencing is the two students that are interviewed by the news after the first Hulk sighting at the campus in this movie, and their name flashes up on screen, and it reads Jack McGee and Jim Wilson. Now, in the comic books, Jack was a reporter who attempted to track down the Hulk almost obsessively, kind of like Eddie Brock with Spider-Man or Lois Lane with Superman. And and Jim Wilson was a young runaway who becomes friends with the Hulk, and if you haven't guessed already, he's the nephew of Sam Wilson, a.k.a. the Falcon. And, you know, these are the sort of, like, hints that uh, Edward Norton wanted to put in the movie, and they actually do do these Uh, little hints all over the MCU universe but I think he was trying to be too forceful of it and this was only the second movie so it was still early days now another obvious reference to the uh, is the serum that made Captain America which they used on M.L. Blonsky who eventually turned into the Abomination he was meant to be returning as a supporting antagonist in Age of Ultron but that was cut he does however make an appearance in Shang-Chi The Legend of the Ten Rings so look out for him if you haven't seen it it's on Disney Plus so, with Captain America, you, I mean, there are a load of things in the movie. For one, when General Ross is retrieving the serum from cold storage, you can see the name of Dr. Reinstein on the box, who is Stanley Tucci's character in Captain America, which is, by the way, my next podcast, so look out for that one. You also have a portrait of Steve Rogers in General Ross's office, so there is even a scene where Banner encounters Cap in the Arctic, but they cut that scene out, but you can catch it on the extra features on the Blu-ray. Another reason why I still buy Blu-ray. Interestingly enough, throughout Phase 1, This is the only film that doesn't feature Nick Fury, but we didn't need him since sort of Stark takes his place in the recruitment area at the end of the movie. One of my favorite characters in this movie was Tim Roth. I mean, he's like five foot seven, so he's an unusual choice for the role, but he was simply terrifying in the role. When he was casted, there was a lot of... uh, like, really, can he do this role? He's like a, you know, a small British guy. Is he able to play like the, you know, a, 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 you know, someone to go up against the Hulk? I don't know. Louis, the director, was the one who insisted it to be Tim Roth since he was a massive fan of him, even though both Edward Norton and Marvel Studios were a bit hesitant to cast him. Louis later said, how can you not love a normal Cockney boy become a superhero? It just needed to be done. And he is absolutely terrified in this movie. So... There were other actors before Norton who was considered to play the Incredible Hulk. Ruffalo, of course, was one of them. Eric Banner was even offered the role, but he turned it down. And the other actors on the list was X-Files' David Duchovny, 
But they were more attracted to Edward Norton because he had that sort of normal look. Instead, David Duchovny is a bit more obviously attractive. Now, Norman was actually Ferrigno's idea because he said he reminded him of Bill Bixby, the very first banner. Matthew McConaughey even auditioned for the role, but that was turned down. And with the other actors, I mean, Liv Tyler actually accepted the role without even reading the script. I think this was one of her first movies after her pregnancy. And William Hurt based his performance as General Ross on Captain Ahab, the obsessive captain who endlessly chased a great white whale, Moby Dick. Uh, and we don't actually see him again all the way up until Civil War. So he does come back, uh, shockingly, actually, because we didn't we didn't expect to see him again. But, yeah, he makes an appearance back in Civil War. So of all the movies in the MCU universe, this was the shortest one, running at one hour and 52 minutes, which is incredible, Seaman. That is the shortest of all of them. And another record this film has, unfortunately, have. It remains the lowest grossing film in the MCU universe, despite making over $200 million. The other 24 or 25 just made a lot more. And it is the first film, not last MCU universe, to be filmed in Panavision, which basically means it's shot in anamorphic. I mean, this film has over 700 visual effects shots in the movie, coming out simply a month after Iron Man, and it is the sixth movie, you know, the sixth Marvel movie, interestingly, to show some kind of nudity in the movie. The other five, shockingly, are the Howard, the Duck, Hulk, the Punisher, Blade Trinity, and two of the uh, X-Men movies. So it's actually the only MCU new MCU movie out of the bunch to feature nudity, which is when Edward Norton is um, uh, just turned back from Hulk to Banner. It's also the only Marvel movie to date and not have a post credit scene that is the last scene and not after the credits roll. Speaking of the last scene, though, I mean, when Bruce is away from the civilian population in the middle of Canada, we see Bruce trying to control Hulk. But what we see him do is yoga, and the final shot in Banner's eyes turns green, which is somewhat and deliberately ambiguous. And um, it's an interesting way to look at it, because it was meant to show, according to the director, that Bruce has finally learned to control the Hulk, or, or he will become the menace as the villain for the Avengers films later on. As we all know, the Hulk becomes a team player in the Avengers, and Banner reveals that his whole secret this entire time of staying calm is that he's always angry. Now, the obvious theme with Banner, which makes him an interesting character, is that we all have our inner demons. But with Banner, he has the reality of unfortunately letting loose that in the universal world. It's a good person to have around, but when nothing is going on, that's when Banner struggles. And if it's that struggle on how we live your life properly, knowing that you have this dark secret doesn't allow you to be intimate or close to anyone in fear of hurting anyone you love. I mean... They successfully humanise Hulk in Endgame with this sort of merge of the two alter egos called the Professor. But when you separate the two, I mean, you know, these themes are trying to build an identity and also living with both sides of you, which is part of you. And, you know, I think Banner finally accepts that, you know, these, you know, Hulk is part of me and Banner's part of me. And, you know, I've got a flip sides every now and again. So I've definitely got to learn of these guys. Now, General Ross pretty much sums the entire thing, which is a reference to Captain America when he's speaking to Blonsky. Ross goes, let me emphasize that what I'm about to share with you is tremendously sensitive, both to me personally and the army. You're aware that we've got an infantry weapons development program. When in World War II, they institute the sub-program for biotech more enhancement. Everything about the serum basically foreshadows Captain America, especially the bit regarding Bruce and Blonsky's experiment of it. I mean, the gamma radiation increases the effect of serum described in the first Captain America movie, which is to enhance a person's inner attributes as well as their physical attributes. Bruce obviously reveals in Avengers that he's always angry in the original TV shows, and even in the comics, he has anger issues. Hence why Hulk is always angry, which in turn makes him, um, makes him an aggressive fighter. And when Blonsky takes it, well, when he goes, no, sir, I'm a fighter. I'll be one for as long as I can. Mind you, if I took what I had now and put it in a body that I had 10 years ago, 
that would be someone I wouldn't want to fight to which Ross goes, or that is something we can arrange. So Blonsky's inner ambition is always to be in a good fight, comes out badly as he becomes this abomination, literally. Captain America, of course, has inner values and is always trying to do the right thing. So nothing changes, but the physical change for him to do something about it. One thing I did want to say about this movie is despite all the stick this film might get about it being the lowest producing movie of the MCU universe or the shortest movie or how, you know, Edward Norton isn't Hulk anymore. So they should just abandon this movie or not have it, you know, part of the 26 movies. Um, I think this film is just another, it's just a great action film. And even with the stats I was pulling out earlier, like the film is not making much money compared to the others still make lows, but not as much. But what I shall say about this movie, besides the fact that Edward Norton was fantastic in this movie, and it was a shame that he couldn't carry on, was only Oscar nominated person in this movie, by the way, is the opening scene flashback scene. I think it is one of the best scenes in the MCU universe. It is absolutely, in terms of filmmaking, almost perfection. I wanted to point the attention to this because whoever edited or directed and did this was absolutely a genius it's just a beautiful sequence of storytelling done in like three minutes we're three minutes into the movie and from that we've already covered bruce's entire backstory his romance and guilt-ridden relationship with betty it's just a great piece of filmmaking it's one of the best things i've seen in the mcu universe in fact i'd go as far as to just say movies for me i mean seven still holds that award ironically with fight club director david fincher so edward norton seems to attract great opening sequences but yeah it is truly a work of art all i shall say is this movie is a great action movie that delivers on every level we know where all the major characters stand emotionally with each other we know what bruce wants and we know what's at stake and all this is covered literally in three minutes and that you know serve you know basic research serves a fantastic cast um and you know sets up a nice cat and mouse chase that defines the structure of the rest of the movie it's one of the better films in my opinion not many that the box office likes or the critics or the fan likes but you know holds a special place in the hearts of many mcu universe fans anyway that's all i have time for with the incredible hulk the second movie in the mcu universe lost but not forgotten is all i will say but um i think it's a great film so please subscribe to me on Apple, iTunes, Google, Amazon, and Spotify. And you can also follow me on Instagram and Twitter. That's Film Exploration AH, all lowercase or one word. But right now, thank you for listening to Film Exploration with Ash Hurry.